The podcast you are about to hear tells the story of a Katsi man named Slumuk. Members of the Katsi First Nation have been instrumental in us telling the story properly. We acknowledge that the story of Slumuk originates from the ancestral lands of the Katsi people. What you're about to hear, you may find graphic and violent in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Learn to speak your own truth. Words shoot like flames out of your mouth, burning your lips like fire. A flush covers your body, heat rises up, reddens your cheeks. Your heart beats fast as words jump, as if from their own will, out into the circle. To amplify, echo, echo, in your heart, in our ears. Learn to listen respectfully. Know what is not said is as important as what is said. What do you know about the power of silence? See it as a skill, an act of relationship, a form of resistance, an action. Through circle, we interpret ourselves, clarify our will towards others, for ourselves and others. We can each have our own voice, speak our truth, speak to me, share from your heart in circle. I'm Crew Williams, and this is Dead Man's Curse, Slumuk's Gold. Episode 7, Full Circle. I'm your guide, along with the rest of the team for the adventure TV docuseries, Dead Man's Curse, on our journey through history. You just heard Taylor Starr, the truth seeker on the team as she read part of the invocation that opens a traditional justice process within the Katsi First Nation and other indigenous communities called the Sacred Circle. Over the course of this podcast, we've discussed the myriad of ways in which Slumak and so many others were at the mercy of an ongoing colonial enterprise. One that sought to extract wealth from a bountiful land, no matter the cost, often at the expense of justice. If this is your first time joining me, I recommend you go back to hear from a host of experts and members of the Katsi and Stolo First Nations as we investigate the curse, sort fact from fiction, and give Slumak a voice from beyond the veil. Today we're joined by Dr. Keith Carlson, who is a Tier 1 Canada Research Chair at the University of the Fraser Valley and Director of the Peace and Reconciliation Centre. His research focuses primarily on the indigenous history of the Coast Salish people, which are the predominant group living in the Pacific Northwest, made up of British Columbia, Washington State, and Oregon. This includes Katsi and Stolo First Nations, and many other ethnically and linguistically related nations. If you've been with us since the beginning, you know Slumak was vilified in the media as part of a tradition of British colonial dominance that dehumanized indigenous people. Dr. Carlson says legal mechanisms at the time doomed Slumak from the start. In many ways, Slumak and Louis B. had their conflict at the worst possible time for indigenous people. Uh, it's before the ability uh, for the, the judicial reforms that take place just three years after this that would have created a whole different kind of a context around the courts. It's at a period now the Catesy and other Stalo Coast Salish people have really lost faith in this new judicial system and the promises of settler society. 
So that's a big part. Indigenous people are now living in poverty on marginal reserves, right, by 1890 earlier. In the 1860s and through the 1870s, we see Coast Salish Indigenous people turning to the Western judicial system and saying, we're going to opt in on certain aspects of this system. We're going to invite colonial police officers, provincial police officers, the colonial judiciary, the provincial magistrates, uh, uh, provincial judges to to be part, like we want to be part of that system on our terms, and especially when murders occur. One of those cases happened in 1884, seven years before Slumok's execution. A 14-year-old boy named Louis Sam from the Stolo First Nation near Abbotsford, British Columbia, was accused of murdering a white shopkeeper on the U.S. side of the border in Washington state. While awaiting trial in police custody in New Westminster, an angry mob of between 80 and 120 men, some dressed in female drag and others in indigenous ceremonial face paint, crossed over from the U.S. They captured Louis Sam, and hanged the teenager from a tree on the Canadian side of the border. An undercover investigation by Canadian authorities found that the shopkeeper's killers led the lynch mob. They were two white American men, one of whom took over the shopkeeper's business, while the other had been living with the victim's estranged wife. In an effort to keep the peace with American authorities, then-Canadian Prime Minister Sir Mackenzie Bull ordered neither man be prosecuted. However, the Stolo community and Louis Sam's family were told over and over again that the police were still investigating. And so what we see is after Louis Sam's lynching is Stolo people along the Fraser River stop going to the police and asking the police to come and become involved in murders or uh, crimes that take place within their communities or between their communities. They stop doing that because they no longer trust the system. And that's the beginning of the system that we live in today, where Indigenous people are suspicious of the police, are suspicious of the courts, feel that they won't get uh, fair treatment in those court cases, that the police will treat them differently. It took 122 years after Louis Sam's death for the governments of British Columbia and Washington State to finally issue a formal apology in 2006. As you can imagine, after that case, faith and willingness to participate in the new colonial system, especially the legal system, became shaky for the indigenous population in the area. It's only six years after that, that Slumuk stands trial uh, in the conflict with with, uh, Louis B. And um, by that time, I think the trust, the sense that we're going we're gonna to give this a try, that we can see value in this system, is waning very quickly. We also know that had Slumuk been a white man, there's no way they would have gone, found his cabin, taken all of his food and supplies out of it, and torched the cabin and burned it to the ground. They did that to Slumuk. The, the police did that to Slumuk because he was indigenous, because he was a Coast Salish man. So... That tells you that the system is treating him differently. Does that mean that in the end, um, it would have been different had you know Moody testified on his behalf or had he been able to testify on his own behalf in the courts? Possibly, um, but 
uh, and we'll, we'll never know for sure. But what we do know for sure is that that system <laughs> was already in the early stages of that investigation, indicating that that they're treating this person differently because they're Indigenous, and not just because he's Indigenous, because Louis B. was also Indigenous, Seymour, who testified, was Indigenous, but because he was an Indigenous man who stayed in the forest, who was living a traditional way of life, who was not coming out and converting and becoming simply a wage laborer in seasonal employment in New Westminster. He was being indigenous, true to himself, out in the wilderness, in the forest. And that is something that settler colonialism can't stand, right? That means that he is an, an obstacle to the path of settler colonial development. Slumock represented all of that. So the fact that in the end, the trial uh, was probably didn't give him a fair shake, um, it, it isn't a surprise. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Don Froze is our resident wayshower and lives in Stolo territory and is a member of the nation. He says that throughout history, there has always been an alternative, which colonial powers failed to take into account. The framework of the Euro-Canadian system is, is very narrow and very much based on punishment. So it's impossible for a judge, especially in that day, to refer anything back to community. This is something we want to explore because if we're to offer Slumok a voice from beyond the veil, we need to look at alternatives and the traditional justice process. To help us do that, we'll be joined by Gail Starr. She's a storyteller, Taylor's mom, and a former police officer with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. For 31 years with the RCMP, she helped build traditional justice processes for three different nations in B.C. Gail says that if Slumok's case happened today, there would have been cross-cultural training for law enforcement agencies. It's important to note that every community handles the process differently, but the outcomes are always the same. When the traditional justice process is implemented, according to Gail and Don, there's about a 90% success rate of rehabilitation and reintegration into the community, compared to only 50% with the Euro-Canadian system. So our traditional justice process, it'll give Slumac um, the voice that he doesn't have because he wasn't allowed to say anything. And there's also um, the language barrier because in language, in our cultural language, we speak differently. It can't be translated to English. It's based on reconnecting. It's based on giving a voice. It's based on equality and a safe environment to take responsibility if that person that did the wrong wants to take responsibility. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the traditional justice process within the Katsi First Nation and in some other communities is called the sacred circle. Don says there are four steps to the process, which include preparation, work, facilitation, and follow-up. 
know clearly what the purpose of the circle will be, who are the participants and who all needs to be there. So, you know, make sure that they have a, a good sleep, that there's no alcohol or drugs for at least four days prior. It's a lot of work that's done with the community just to, to facilitate that whole thing with all the steps. Like step one, just a circle preparation, getting the families together. Everybody's family would be involved. So those separate meetings would happen with each of those families before they come together in one circle. So that they they're all they all feel comfortable coming <clears throat> together. They know what the um, topics of discussion are going to be and that they are going to be difficult. And then with that family comes support people who support those families when things get tough. So it could, it's not just one circle, it's many circles. And it could take months to get through it. Just like a trial, a long yeah. criminal trial, it's the same thing. The nice thing about doing our, our, our justice process is everyone's at the same level. There's no one better than anyone else. There's no superior, you know, everyone is treated with respect. Yeah. And then there's one facilitator mm -hmm. who manages their process and who guides everybody. Gail says the process can be intense and triggering for people inside or even outside the circle as many issues may come up that need to be addressed. Don and Gail walked us through what a sacred circle would look like for Slumuk. Don acted as the facilitator. So I'm not related to Slumuk in any way. I'm not from the community. And I've been brought in from an outside community to um, discuss and go over the events that led up to the death of Louis B. So um, I just want to, first of all, thank the CMs and the elders, the leaders of the community for inviting me to this circle. I am neutral that I'm I'm here to just keep things going. And at any point, if somebody is not feeling comfortable to speak up and or let me know, we have some uh, medicine people here that are uh, in case something's triggered in this process. We, we want the uh, Euro-Canadian judge and lawyers that are here and, and, the, and the federal representatives to know that we're not looking at the end of the day to have a, a clear outcome. You know, we're not here to punish anybody. And everybody here in this circle is of the same mind, and that is to, to find a way where we can restore and possibly find forgiveness. Everything that's said in the circle here, the words that are said, cannot be used against any, any individual going forward from this day on. Gail then shared who would be in the inner circle, the people most deeply impacted by Slumak's actions. So we have Slumak and we have the witnesses to the incident. We also have people who were with Slumak, Peter Pierre. We also have an elder in the inner circle who can um, guide us in some of our traditional ways if we get kind of lost that way. The inner circle would also include Slumok's and Louis B's families. The outer circle would be made up of witnesses to the process, including leaders from other local communities who would go back and tell their people what had happened. 
This includes judges from Slumok's hearing and court case, his defense lawyer, one of the Indian agents from the area, as well as the police officers who searched for Slumok after the incident. So to begin this process, I brought with, with me uh, an eagle feather. So if, if you're speaking and you're holding the eagle feather, uh, you're not to be interrupted. Um, you have the floor and um, do your best to stay on track with um, what it is you're saying. Holding the eagle feather, Dom would go around the circle and allow everyone to introduce themselves by stating their names, where they're from, and which family they're with. After introductions, the circle would discuss Sumak's responsibility for what he's done. No blaming or shaming would be allowed. The process that we do with the circle, it's, it's about healing. It's not about the punishment. So this is um, a situation where we have many levels of harm that's been done. Not just the incident that happened, but the harm that has been happening throughout the years. Slumak and Willie B, maybe were friends at one time, maybe they grew up together, but somehow there was a division that split them. So we want the families to speak to that, what had happened, um, but also we want to give the witnesses um, a chance to speak on their own behalf from their own words and from their own hearts. This process is looking for more than a smoking gun. It's about contextual understanding of the relationship and history between the two men. Gail says witnesses help paint the picture of the small community. Everyone would likely know Louis B's family very well. And so the feather would then go to them to give the opportunity to share how they felt and what they went through. And perhaps give more insight on Louis B's life leading up to his death. Sounds like he was um, a provider. Um, he was the hunter, he was the fisher. So they depended on him for that. They would say he's protecting the land, he's protecting his family, he's protecting what he owns. And when you're out up in the mountains, you wanna protect the area that you hunt. When you're on the water, you wanna protect the area that you fish from. You wanna protect areas where you go and um, forage for food, for berries, for um, medicines. So he was, when the family say he was a protector, that's what he was protecting. Other people would say, no, he was a bully, but the family doesn't see it that way. Seymour, who was the first witness to come forward, would then be given the opportunity to speak. Seymour, being in the canoe with Louis B., he can explain, you know, what they were doing that day. But you'll find that witnesses in, in this types of circle, they won't be graphic in what they've seen. They'll say, Slumak had a gun. They'll say Louis B. had a weapon as well. They may not describe in detail what happened between the two of them, but they'll say something happened and Louis B. died because they feel comfortable doing that because they don't want to, even though there's a medicine person in um, the circle, they don't want to trigger themselves. And you can't in a circle prompt people as police do to say, tell me more, tell me more. When they're done, they're done. Florence Reed and Moody, the two witnesses who, you might remember, 
never got the chance to testify in court, would then speak. It's about the whole history of, of um, Slumac's relationship with Louis B. And with these two, um, Moody and Florence, they can account to incidences that happened between Louis B. and um, Slumac over the years. They weren't necessarily enemies, but even amongst good neighbors, disputes and disagreements happen. And there was maybe six families that lived there. As in life, it's all a matter of perspective. The eagle feather would continue to travel around the circle, eventually landing in the hands of Slumonk's nephew, the catechist and medicine man, Peter Pierre. So Peter Pierre also represented the church. He could pivot from one world to the other world. So he actually saw very clearly the, the way colonization um, had impacted community. And in a, in a quiet and a powerful way, P Peter Pierre protected community by, by choosing to be involved with the church and also um, walking that fine line by being a, a traditional medicine person. So Peter Pierre would also talk about when he went and searched out Slumak after Louis B. died and what, what he would have, um, you know, when he found Slumac after all those days that Slumac was hiding in the, in, the, in the woods, the way that he was able to uh, listen to Slumac and, and counsel him to bring him up, bring him out, and that was pretty pretty big deal. Peter Pierre also did this for Slumac as he looked at the outer circle and looked at the judge the police officers, the lawyers that were there. And he said, Slumac is actually a traditional man. He does good for the community. He does good for his family. Unlike how he's being portrayed by the news articles that are being written about him. Mm. He, looks like a, he looks like a very bad man to the outside world. And that attitude is starting to affect Slumac and it's, affects his family. It affects his friendship with Louis B because they were probably once friends, but because he was portrayed even before what had happened, before the, the shooting, Slumac was um, given a reputation of being a very um, unlike person. Well, Peter Pierre knew that Slumac was a disciplined man in his traditional ways. And so, Peter Pierre was definitely the bridge between the colonial system and, you know, what we're doing today with the circle. So he's, he's pretty important. And we couldn't, the KC community just can't afford to lose an individual. Louis B's death it was a loss to family, but it was a big loss to community as well. Don and Gail say it's possible that the community was even a little scared of Slumok because of his loner lifestyle. People likely only knew that he lived in the mountains for weeks on end and would only come down and go to his cabin or go into town. Notice that in the circle so far, no one's mentioned gold. The circle isn't about gold. It's about forgiveness and making the community healthy again. And 
to, to save community and to build community, we have to restore relationships. Doesn't mean you necessarily have to like the pe- person, but you have to forgive and, and move on and build on it. Peter Pierre would have played an important role in that. He would have been the one to bridge the gap between the community and Slumuk. He knew Slumuk's struggles and challenges and would attempt to bring him back into the fold. How do we deal with a death in the community? How do we, how do we heal from that? How do we come back from that as an Indigenous person? So it's about forgiveness. It's about taking ownership of what happened and what things can Slumak do now to make those corrections in his life and to be able to live with the community in a good way. At this point, Slumak would finally get a chance to speak in his own language. He knows that the circle is, is about healing and he knows that he himself needs to heal from some of the things that he may have done that was not so nice um, that the communities had to witness, um, you know, when he comes down from the mountain and when he's gone down to, to New Westminster and, you know, went to the pubs and, you know, maybe got into some arguments. And then his, the way he was treated by Louis B was just eating him alive. Like he couldn't take it anymore. The bullying, every time he was on the water, it was, you know, he would get called names and been told that he doesn't belong there because Slumak was a loner. He, he went up to the mountains alone. Yeah, he found the gold up there alone. He didn't tell anybody where it was. This would be when gold first gets mentioned in the circle. Remember that for the Katsi people, it never held much value and wouldn't figure heavily in this process. Still, gold offered a way for Slumak and other First Nations people to provide for their communities. And since it caused problems between Slumak and Louis B, it would definitely be discussed in the circle. Maybe Louis B was one of those people who wanted to know where it was and tried to intimidate Slumak to the point of, yeah, I'm going to tell you where the gold is now. But in the end, Louis B died on his efforts because he pushed Slumak to his limits and Slumak couldn't take it anymore. I think at this point, um, Slumak breaks down and he, he can't speak anymore because it's, he's too overwhelmed. So he, he asks uh, his uncle to speak for him and he may be communicating quietly with Peter Pierre. And Peter Pierre now starts to relay things on to community that perhaps is too hard for Slumak to say. So Peter Pierre is now explaining to the circle that some, and disclosing some, some new facts, facts based on, on what Slumak is telling him. Gail says Slumak would then acknowledge the greater implications his actions had on the entire community and take his share of responsibility and be accountable for them. Some of the conversations that he had with Peter Pierre, with his nephew, was how do I how do I make amends with my community? I realized that I've I thought I was doing what was best for me, but now I know that I've harmed my whole community because when they were looking for Slumac, they actually moved the whole community out of that area and burnt his house down looking for him people being threatened if, if they don't say where Slumac is. So how, how, do we, how do we rectify that? 
The circle process is about restoration and reconciliation, and Peter Pierre would then step forward and act as a mediator. He would be the one that would be representing Slumak, and, and not just Slumak, but he would also is saying, I will also work with Louis B's family as well, because the whole crux of Quickelstum, of traditional justice process, is the spiritual aspect. So now we're entering that dimension. So now Louis B's family is his parents, who are elders and who are very traditional people and also spiritual people, start to understand the life of Slumak. They start to understand the relationship Slumak had with their son, Louis B, and a relationship with Seymour and the other two witnesses, Moody and Florence. So they've, they've, sat there for, you know, a good couple hours listening to the things that have been said. And now they're, they're starting to feel for Slumak and starting to, to feel um, empathy. That empathy is key. People most likely didn't know how Slumak actually felt or what his life was really like. The Circle offers an opportunity for a new understanding of those who cause harm to the community, and in Slumak's case, it would be a step towards healing. So Louis B's parents actually take the responsibility of saying things like, we have failed. We have failed with one of our community members who is Slumak because nobody was there to help him when he was struggling. Um, there was a reason why he would go down into town and you know go to the taverns. Why was he doing that? There is a reason why. Why was our son so relentlessly bullying him all the time? We, we should have intercepted and we should have stopped that behavior. And as, as a community, we failed Slumak. But now that we see that Slumak has a caring nephew who is willing to work with Slumak, uh, Peter Pierre will, will help Slumak now through his troubles and tribulations. So um, Louis B's family are now, they're not only mourning the loss of their son, but they're mourning the spiritual loss of Slumak and how he's had to live his life because nobody helped them. And they feel um, spiritual empathy for Slumak. Louis B's family now has um, shown community a lot of humility and love and they're demonstrating what we would call the, like the, the seven unwritten laws. And they're showing that and demonstrating to community that there's an openness to find an agreement, to come to some kind of um, understanding where they could uh, live with the death of their son. A big part of this agreement is the follow-up. Where do we go from here? Don and Gail say that the community as a whole would have to come to terms with the loss of Louis B and find a way to support both families. You know, this, this thing about forgiveness is, is going to take time. But the circle has agreed to go down the path of forgiveness. Part of that agreement includes Peter Pierre will be monitoring Slumak and working with him. There will be other spiritual people in community that are close to the Louis B's family that will be working with them as well. 
and this is this is a mending process. This is a working process. So we're not looking for an immediate outcome here. I mean, the alternative to this was somebody being executed. And he has told Peter Pierre that he will change his ways and he's dedicated his life to being that better person and being more spiritual as well as traditional. And it's a long process. It's the rest of his life. Part of this agreement would require Schlumach to do something he hasn't done for many years, live closer in community with others. He would have to face his and Louis B.'s relatives. And this is a tough choice for many even today. When given the option, many people choose the governmental judicial system because it's sometimes easier than facing those you've harmed and taking responsibility for your actions. Every day you have to think about the incidences that happen and every day he has to think about the harm that he has done to the community and the harm that has been done to him. But slowly, slowly he'll heal and become that better person. And the healing process has started. The parents feel better. The witnesses feel better. This huge weight has come off of Slumac's shoulders as well as Peter Pierre's. He's like, oh, Peter Pierre is sighing a relief that, yeah, the community, they know what they're doing and we know what we're doing. Slumac, with the help of Peter Pierre, would serve his community by teaching the traditional ways of hunting and gathering and living on the land. Teachings that take a lifetime to learn. Then the outer circle would be addressed. To the outside circle, and I say um, to all the community leaders and to the elders and some other community members that may be on the outside of the circle, that they are to go back to their communities and to their families and say, you know, Slumac, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's going to be okay because the community has enabled him to be okay by giving him the spiritual help that he needs, by giving him the responsibilities to uh, make the community a better community by working with the youth, by consulting the elders, but also the the enforcement people that are sitting there, mm. the facilitator telling the enforcement people that our work is done for today, but it's going to continue on and we want no interference. Don and Gail remind us that the circle process is contained within the community. There would be no reporting to the outside law enforcement agencies, and those present in the outer circle would be reminded that what happens inside the circle stays inside the circle. Their official position would be that they've concluded their investigation and are happy with the outcome that their community has come up with. And this is all based on the fact that Slumac took responsibility for what he did. We now have an agreement and we have something to build on. And it truly is, is a process. In our traditional ways, we don't say punishment, we say healing. And that's a harder road than punishment, harder, because you're facing your peers day after day, knowing that they're watching you and that you have to live a better lifestyle. There would be no media release. The circle would then be closed. But as we know, that is not what happened. Instead, we only have the comfort of believing Slumak could have been redeemed and reclaimed by his community if he had been given the chance. Instead, in his last days, as he was about to be executed for what could very well have been an act of self-defense, Slumak performed an act of gratitude. He offered his nephew and spiritual guide 
a map to his secret gold. Samach went up the lake to look for this gold. He went up, 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 you know, these canyons and a certain canyon. So what happened to Peter Pierre? Did he go searching for that gold? Everything in Amanda Charnley's interview is coming to life. Everything she talks about is now revealing itself in real time. And if he did, then where did the words Nika Memlus, mine Memlus, come from? Remember, I told you the official record might not be all there is to the story. And all stories have to begin somewhere. All this and more as we travel deeper into the legend of Slumok to uncover the truth behind the dead man's curse. Thank you for joining me, and special thanks to Gail Starr, Don Froze, and Dr. Keith Carlson for their work on this episode. Dead Man's Curse, Slumox Gold is written by Ernest White II and Dila Velasquez. Our producers are Jessica Young and Dila Velasquez. Editing and sound design by Rob Johnston and Rosalind Kofor. Our associate producers are Valerie Hold Mershon and Gail Starr. Our indigenous cultural and heritage consultant is Gail Starr. Our executive producers are Chris Duncombe, Ernest White II, Michael Francis, Tim Hardy, and David Way. Dead Man's Curse is a curious cast and great Pacific media production. 